I'm Dale Mason, publisher of Answers Magazine, and this is Creation Answers, a podcast of Answers in Genesis, featuring highlights from the award-winning Answers Magazine. In this episode, we're exploring some of the latest discoveries about the human brain. It's been called the most complex object in the universe. Such incredible design clearly points to the creator who made us in his image with incredible abilities that surpass anything else, anywhere else. Astronauts shivering in a broken down spacecraft far from Earth. A woman falling off a cliff. A backpacker encountering a furious bear at a bend in the trail. How could these people possibly survive? Each depended on incredible biological emergency systems to stay alive. We live in a cursed world where dangers lurk around every corner. Recognizing the potential threats to our lives, God provided our bodies with contingency plans, ready to activate at a moment's notice. Whatever extra energy or infusion of chemicals our bodies need, whatever quick changes are required for us to make quick decisions or conserve precious resources, the brain is always ready to act. The beauty of these emergency systems is that we don't have to learn them. Every person begins life with these abilities, which are passed down through the generations, originating in our first parents, Adam and Eve. Researchers are learning more and more about how our brain switches operations when thrown into hazardous situations. You may never face life-threatening situations, or you may face them only once, but in any case, God has equipped you to have a better chance of surviving. Consider just three examples. Example 1. To coldly go. The loud bang was unexpected. At first, the other astronauts thought a crew member was playing a practical joke, but they soon realized the situation was serious. On April 13, 1970, Apollo 13 radioed home, Houston, we've had a problem. Over the next few days, NASA's mission control in Texas and the endangered astronauts banded together to solve each problem thrown at them. They figured out how to preserve batteries and water. The NASA teams even managed to design a makeshift air scrubber to reduce the dangerous levels of carbon dioxide in the small spaceship. But one problem couldn't be solved. The lunar module Aquarius was getting cold, almost freezing, around 38 degrees Fahrenheit. Initially, the heat given off by the computer systems helped to maintain the temperature in Aquarius, but later they were turned off to preserve the precious power. Three days after the explosion, the cold was nearly unbearable. The astronauts never slept. Fred Hayes's feet, after getting soaked from a leaky water dispenser, were half frozen. Their food turned into blocks of ice. How did they manage to survive? Their brains were ready with a contingency plan that NASA could never imagine. One part of the brain, called the hypothalamus, regulates the body's internal temperature. When we get too hot or too cold, the hypothalamus initiates emergency systems. When the temperature plummeted to a critical low, the astronaut's hypothalamus responded immediately. The first defense was to generate heat. Muscles, like computers, produce heat when working so the astronauts started shivering involuntarily. The second defense preserved what heat their bodies still contained. 
As the temperature continued to drop, their brains stimulated the blood vessels just below the skin's surface to constrict, keeping the blood deeper and warmer as it circulated. Still, it got colder, causing slowed heart rates and digestion. Their brains initiated the next step. In an effort to protect the vital organs, their brains triggered the blood to concentrate around the heart and brain, keeping those key areas warmer and vital systems functioning. Fingers, toes, and other extremities were left to the cold. As the astronauts' bodies continued to cool, the nervous systems slowed and clear thinking was hampered. The astronauts even struggled to understand and remember what mission control told them. Their brains were conserving all resources in an effort to survive, and logical thinking was unnecessary for immediate survival. Finally, the end was in sight. After days of fighting the cold and fear, the astronauts buckled in, ready to restart the engine of the command module. Amidst cheers and more than a few tears, they entered Earth's atmosphere. The Apollo 13 mission is commonly known as NASA's successful failure. The astronauts made it home, thanks in great part to the incredible design of their bodies. Example 2. Pain, pain, go away. Hiking alone through the Sierra Nevada mountains in California had always been one of Amy Racine's favorite pastimes. The beauty of the trees, the silence of the hills, and the warm August air filled Amy with peace and joy. And then the unthinkable happened. Near the edge of a cliff, the ground suddenly crumbled beneath her feet. She tumbled into space with nothing to catch her but a granite slab 60 feet, 18 meters, below. When Amy woke up, she waited for pain to overwhelm her. It didn't, so she sat up and assessed her situation. Her hip was broken in two places, her right kneecap had shattered, and she noticed several other minor fractures, sprains, and dislocations. Amy knew she was badly hurt, so why wasn't she overwhelmed with pain? In extreme emergencies, our brain can block pain. If Amy had felt the full force of the pain from all of her injuries, she would have been unable to bind her wounds and drag herself the mile and a half to the nearest trail. The trail offered the only hope of rescue before she bled to death. Typically, pain is a good thing. It warns us of injury or sickness. It tells us when to slow down or when we've done too much. Few things send us to the doctor faster than intense pain. If we never felt pain we would rarely notice that we hurt ourselves. But in life-threatening situations, it's not always good to feel pain. Soldiers in the midst of battle don't always have time to treat bullet wounds. Long-term survival may demand their full attention on the enemy, so the brain can temporarily block the pain. But how can our brains block pain? Scientists are still trying to understand the details but the gate control theory suggests that the paths between pain-transmitting nerves can be blocked by natural painkillers. Normally, nerves at the injured site send signals along a path to a projection neuron, the gate, located in the spine, which then forwards the message to the brain. However, if the pain must be blocked, a special region in the middle of the brain, called the periaqueductal gray, closes the gate by releasing endorphins, natural painkillers, more powerful than morphine. Once the danger has passed, the periaqueductal gray will remove the endorphins, 
allowing Payne through the gate. Once rescuers arrived to lift Amy by helicopter to a hospital, Payne flooded over her. The temporary lull in Payne had saved her life. Now it was time for the normal process of rest and healing to begin. Example 3. Bear in Mind Hiking in the middle of the remote forest in the USA's Yellowstone National Park, 22-year-old Josh Beatty turned the corner and nearly stumbled over a grizzly bear cub at play, blocking his path. But Mom was there, too. Suddenly his heart raced, his breathing increased, and his muscles tensed. What was happening to Josh? His brain was preparing to fight or flee. At the first sign of danger, before the problem is fully processed by the logic center, our brain already kicks into gear. In many cases, like touching a hot stove, if we waited until we consciously understood the dangers, our reaction would come too late. So how does this fight-or-flight system work? When danger nears, the hypothalamus, the same part of our brain that regulates body temperature, flips a switch. Before we have time to think, our brain speeds ahead of us, ordering the release of appropriate chemicals. Our brain also increases blood flow to the muscles, allowing for quick action. Breathing deepens to elevate oxygen intake. Heart rate and pressure increase to speed oxygen delivery. Many non-vital systems temporarily shut down. Growth, digestion, and the immune system stop functioning so that energy is not wasted on systems not required for immediate survival. But the brain acts differently if the danger is further away. According to one study, the distance of the threat relates to the area our brain uses to face it. If the angry mother bear appears far away, the part of our brain used for strategy, called the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, activates. But as she draws closer, the focus switches to the fight-or-flight part of our brain, known as the periaqueductal gray, the same part that controls feeling pain. Essentially, the brain seeks to implement an escape plan before Mama Bear gets too close. Time is up. Which will you choose, fight or escape? The answer comes down to the individual. Whether we run or fight is not always clear-cut, and the decision depends on our emotions and the situation. But no matter the emergency, God designed the human brain with the specialized capabilities to help us survive, be it day-to-day -day hassles or perilous threats to life. The End But Not the Limit At the same time that mankind explores the deep mysteries of the oceans and the awesome glories of the heavens, where the Creator's genius is clearly seen, we are just as amazed by the intricacies scientists constantly discover in the human brain. The same God who displays His power in space reminds us about His loving care in our own bodies and minds. From the very beginning, God provided for his children even before such protection was needed. Adam and Eve were well equipped to survive in a fallen world. And so are we. That was authored by a science writer named Heather Bruce. She worked on the article as an Answers Magazine intern while earning her degree. But the article was so good that it won first place for student writing from the Evangelical Press Association. Heather's gone on to win many awards for exceptional writing. Want to discover more about how your brain works? 
You'll love Dr. Tommy Mitchell's book, The Nervous System. Find it at AnswersBookstore.com. Here's another example of the brain's abilities that's often in the news. Cochlear implants. In this article, Dr. Georgia Purdom, a Ph.D. biologist at Answers in Genesis, shares her own deeply personal story. She's incredibly thankful that the brain can convert random electrical noises from a man-made machine into recognizable sounds and sentences. Listen. Truth or science fiction? If your ear stops working, you can send electrical signals directly to the brain. True. Cochlear implants do just that. Our brains are so marvelously versatile that they can decode electrical noises from any source, even a man-made machine. On April 17, 2010, the world again became a very noisy place. It was the day the electronic device behind my ear, called a cochlear implant, was first turned on. For over 20 years, my hearing had been progressively declining. I could not hear birds sing, crickets chirp, or my young daughter whisper. Hearing aids weren't enough. I couldn't even do the simplest things, like having a conversation in a restaurant or talking on the phone. They were nearly impossible. When I was a child, my ears functioned normally. They faithfully performed the incredible task of translating sound waves into electrical signals, then sending them to my brain. First, the outer ear collected the sounds and directed them to an amplifier in the middle ear. These vibrations then moved to the inner ear, or cochlea, where the biggest miracle occurred. The wiggling of microscopic hairs sent a series of electrically charged particles, or ions, through molecular-sized trapdoors. This stream of electrical impulses traveled up the auditory nerve to the brain. As I grew older, this intricate system broke down. But my new electronic gizmo, the cochlear implant mentioned earlier, has bypassed the ear entirely and sends an electrical signal directly to the auditory nerve. The internal portion of the device, implanted under the skin behind the ear, connects to an electrode. The electrode threads through the cochlea, connecting directly to auditory nerve fibers. The external portion, called the processor, sits over the ear and connects to the internal portion via a magnet. Sound is received by the processor and converted to electrical signals. The signals travel through the internal portion to stimulate the auditory nerve. This information is sent to the brain. I think this step is amazing because the signals initially arrive as a batch of electrical signals unlike anything the brain has ever received before. But it is able to quickly recognize patterns and interpret the new signals as sound. Most common sounds which other people take for granted, I relish hearing. From the turn signal in my car to my daughter's laughter, I enjoy hearing every minute of it. Scientists will never be able to replicate God's amazing design. However, I'm extremely thankful for the God-given intelligence that produced the cochlear implant, allowing me to hear again. Every second, our brains are bombarded with billions of meaningless details that stream through our five senses. The brain has to sort out what really matters, like, you know, where'd I put my car keys? 
and ignore the rest. Our inability to remember details can be annoying. Yet if we understand how our brain works, why it forgets some things and remembers others, we can gain a whole new appreciation for this marvel. Many people mistakenly believe that the brain permanently stores all the information it encounters, but we just can't always access it. In fact, we forget many things, which appear to be gone forever. And that's a good thing. Consider what happens if we remember too much. One famous psychology patient could remember lists of hundreds of random words without even trying. But this posed a huge problem. He had trouble forgetting anything. Even worse, he had difficulty distinguishing between useful and useless information. His brain was overloaded because he could not identify what was really important. God created our brains to process an unimaginably complex stream of information. Trillions of bits pour into our brain every second from all our senses. As we monitor the world, our brains must discard useless details and latch on to anything of short-term or long-term value. As we juggle the humdrum details of life, our brains may sometimes get out of kilter. In the vast majority of situations, however, even the average mind performs unparalleled miracles. Not like a computer. As a child, I had a good memory that impressed grown-ups. In the sixth grade, I could recite all 40 U.S. presidents in order, the years they were in office, most of the vice presidents, and their home states. Some would compliment me, Wow, you have a memory like a computer. As a neuroscientist, I'm happy to say that human memory is quite unlike a computer's, and infinitely more amazing. Unlike computers, our brains are self-organizing, self-governing, and self-repairing. The processing center doesn't file memories in a separate place. Instead, our brain uses the same cells that store our memories to process information. And it builds memories by making new connections between these existing cells. How is this better than a computer string of zeros and ones? Our memories aren't just random facts we pile up and recite on demand. Instead, our brains use our memories to help us think creatively about new situations and even raise new questions. We are constantly assimilating outside information and incorporating it into how we think. The memories become a part of our thoughts. We still have much to learn about how all this works. After all, the brain contains 100 billion cells, and each neuron can form tens of thousands of connections with other neurons. That adds up to one quadrillion connections, 10 to the power of 15, in case you were wondering. Where's my space? Back to the example of finding your car in the parking lot. The brain maintains a detailed map of your body as it moves in space and across time. So why do you still forget where you parked your car? The most common reason is you weren't paying attention when you got out of the car. You were probably thinking about where you were going and forgot to glance around to register a few boundaries and landmarks. Memories made to last. A critical function of the brain is to sort out what we should remember and not remember. For example, it might be helpful to remember the number of canned vegetables left in the cupboard 
so we don't run out. But who cares how many cans are left on the shelf after we buy one at the store? God designed the brain so that only some memories last. Memories are believed to go from short to long-term memory by reinforcement. Initially, the synapses involved in a memory trace are very weak. However, with repetition or a link to strong emotions, the connections become stronger and stronger. If you regularly park in the same general area, the connections between neurons get stronger and easier to access next time. This explains why repetition aids learning. I learned the presidents by frequent repetition, yet because I haven't repeated them in a long time, I've forgotten some names. More complicated than you thought. We've only scratched the surface of what it takes to remember where you parked your car. You need much more than spatial memory. What is the color and shape of your car? What does your model of car look like in bright sun or rain, or from the rear or side? How should your eyes scan the parking lot to detect your car? How should your feet walk to your car? And follow the traffic laws so you don't get run over. Simply asking, where'd I park my car, requires you to draw the right words out of your vocabulary, which probably exceeds 50,000 words, and correctly apply the rules of the English language. The list goes on and on, but the brain does all this quickly and seamlessly. How does your brain keep all this straight? For starters, it distinguishes between two main types of long-term memory. They are processed and stored very differently. Declarative memory deals with the recall of what? Facts and events. In contrast, procedural memory deals with how-to. Identifying your car or remembering the names of presidents is declarative memory, whereas riding a bike or swimming is procedural memory. While we must consciously recall declarative facts, the brain typically applies procedural memory without our consciously thinking about it. Remembering only the best parts. God designed our brains so we can focus on the important things and not get lost in insignificant details. Contrary to popular belief, we do not remember every detail of every single event. That much information would be completely overwhelming. Our memories are selective. We remember only major things that we think are critical. When we try to recall the whole event, the brain pulls up major details and fills in the rest. If it is a major event, our brains store more details. This explains why you can remember many details from terrible news, such as the death of a loved one or the 9-11 terrorist bombings at the World Trade Center. Strong emotions seem to enhance our ability to remember, and the more senses that were engaged in the experience, the more connections we have to the memory. Sharing the load. Through brain scans, we now believe that each memory is spread over many places in the brain. This is called the distributive model. Memory does not simply consist of individual cells storing separate facts, but a shared system requiring many different neurons. One advantage of spreading out information is that if one brain cell dies, the information is not permanently lost. Using multiple neurons alleviates this problem. This explains why, if you hear a song that was popular years ago, 
many other events from the same time period can flood your mind. When you activate the neurons for that memory, related memories are activated as well. This system is extremely helpful. Our lives are filled with situations that aren't identical, but similar. The brain can pull up many similar memories to help us resolve new challenges quickly. The human brain has an amazing plasticity and capacity. Plasticity refers to how the brain can change in response to new experiences to create new memories. Capacity refers to the amount of information that can be stored. The fact that there are so many different brain regions and processes involved in the storage and retrieval of memories points to a creator. Memory gives an advantage to those organisms that possess it. But how do you evolve this ability through gradual modification? It is only advantageous if you have a fully functional system. Never forget. God doesn't want His people to forget Him or what He has done for them. It is interesting to me, as a neuroscientist, to see the importance that God placed on using ritual ceremonies to help us recall His grace. After He saved the firstborn children during the first Passover, the Israelites were told to repeat this ceremony every year to reinforce the memory of God's grace. At the Lord's Supper, Jesus established a new ceremony, Do this in remembrance of me. Every time we partake at church, we remember His shed blood and the first observance in the upper room in Jerusalem. This God-ordained ceremony reinforces our memory of God's wondrous grace. These religious practices involve both declarative and procedural memories. Since more senses are involved, the brain is more engaged and more likely to maintain the memory of Christ's wondrous grace. God, who made our brains, knew what He was doing when He implemented these ceremonies. Throughout our lives, He wants us to focus our minds and affections on things above, filling our minds with good things. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. God designed the brain's synapses to help us by literally reinforcing our memories when we meditate on truly important things. Just think about that the next time you can't find your car. That was by Dr. David DeWitt, a Ph.D. neuroscientist who is also a leading creationist. You can tell he loves the brain. He loves the God who made the brain even more. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find these original articles and hundreds more at our website, AnswersMagazine.com. The links to today's articles are listed in our show notes. And don't forget, you can always subscribe to receive the magazine in your mailbox every other month. I'm Dale Mason, publisher at Answers Magazine, and for the entire team, God bless. Of blood cells in a 70 million year old bone. All right, Lofty. The dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. With evolution decades. Is your family ago, struggling to find good, wholesome entertainment that actually supports what you believe? Answers in Genesis presents the Creation Museum DVD Collection. As families walk through the Creation Museum, they are amazed by the content and quality of the videos produced exclusively for the museum experience. Now you can own and share 
40 of these special videos, all on six DVDs. Six Days dramatically brings to life the events of the first week of history, the Tower of Babel, and more. Heaven and Earth highlights the beauty and majesty of God's awe-inspiring handiwork. Flood Geology showcases possible mechanisms behind Noah's flood and its tremendous effects on the Earth. Life reveals a planet that abounds with an amazing variety of living things. You'll clearly see the Creator's hand in the world around you. Dinosaurs and Dragon Legends shows that the biblical record and dragon legends from around the world all proclaim man really did walk with the dinosaurs. The Last Adam. The first Adam brought death and suffering into the world. The last Adam, Jesus, brings eternal life to those who receive his gift of salvation. Complete with director's commentaries and other bonus content, this six DVD collection for your home is sure to excite and edify. Provide your family with timeless entertainment that is educational and faith building. To order this exclusive series, visit our website at answersingenesis.org or call 1-800-778-3390.